All right, Psalms 18. If you're a note taker, this psalm is divided into three parts, roughly. You have uh, verses one through three is the introduction, like always. Verses 20 through 31 is kind of the central body, if you will, of this psalm, where David is just describing his experience, how he's responded to God and how God responds to him. Verses 46 through 50, you have the conclusion, which kind of mirrors the introduction um, a little bit. And then each side, each, you're like, wait, you skipped some verses. Uh, Yeah, we just, we don't toss those out. No, no, no. On each side of that middle section from verses you know, 20 through 31, um, on each side of that, David just describes how God has victoriously worked on his behalf. And that's verses 4 through 19 and 31 through 45. Now, Psalm 18 does give us, I love it when this happens, it does give us an introduction. If you look at the heading in your Bible, it says something like this, for the choir director. And and we know that this means that this is a psalm, a song intended to be sung corporately. This was to be part of corporate worship, public worship. It's a long one. It's Again, it's 50 verses. And it says, it's a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. First time that that's been there in a header of the servant of the Lord. It says, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, da, da, da. So that's the context of this psalm. Again, all in response. It's a, it's a psalm of response to the greatness of God, how God has just worked in his life. Actually, um, it's kind of interesting. We have this psalm two times in our Bibles. You have one here in Psalm 18, but the, the same psalm is recorded over in 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you, um, if you look over there, it's pretty identical. And that's where David is just writing his response, again, to the things going on in his life. And um, you might be wondering, like I was, like, okay, why would this psalm be in Scripture two times? Why, why would it appear twice? And all I can say is this. Anytime that God repeats himself in scripture, it's because he wants us to listen again. Amen to that? Anytime that um, he repeats himself, he wants us, his sheep, his people, to get it, to understand it, to take note of it. He's trying to communicate something to us. And again, David, he's writing this psalm as he's being delivered by the hand of all of his enemies from the hand of Saul. And so when we we read these verses tonight and we look at these things as as David's going to say, Lord, you're my rock. Kind of like we just sang, Lord, you're my fortress, you're my deliverer. Um, That means like one thing to like you and I tonight. You're like, oh, that's, that's some cute words, that's some nice words. But we have to understand what this means to this young guy who was once found in favor in the sight of the king. That was David, right? He was found in just, he was looked on with favor by King Saul. He was used by the Lord at a, at a young age, you know, in battle, defeating Goliath, saving like an entire nation. He was brought into the palace, elevated quickly, if you, if, if you will, to this 
royal kind of position of just being like an advisor to King Saul. He was on the fast track in the kingdom. But then, all of a sudden, one day, he finds himself in deep persecution. And not just one bad day, not just one bad week, but for years, someone would say maybe 15 to 20 years, he's been on the run. He's been driven out by the king. David, again, he's this young guy on the run. He didn't, he didn't have to you know, watch any action-packed movies. He was like literally living one. Like that was his life, being persecuted, chased, trying to save his life from this maniac of a king. And so certainly we look at our struggles tonight in comparison. You know, we, we look at our anxieties in our lives and they fail, right? They fall, you know, in the context, I guess, of what David is saying here, like the effectiveness, like in his own life, right? The Lord granting him victory. And, 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 and the application for us tonight, though, our circumstances like fail in comparison to what David's going through, but there is no victory that God cannot give us. That's what we walk away with. I want you to walk away tonight with that. Not promising victory in every circumstance how you want victory, but there is no victory that God cannot give. He cannot deliver. And when, and when you think of God riding through David, again, this, you know, the Bible's not written you know, to us, it's written for us, Right? And for this to appear two times in scripture, again, I believe tonight there's something that God wants to communicate to each one of us. And I don't know what it is. For us, it can be different things, but I really firmly believe that God has this passage, all 50 of these verses, appearing twice in scripture for our benefit and our good. So let's dive right in. That's how it starts. David begins by saying in verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now, the Hebrew says it a little differently. It just says, like, I love you, O Jehovah, or O Yahweh. I love you, Lord. Remember, this David, who's writing this, is a warrior, right? He's been in and out of many battles. We know David was a man of bloodshed. He's a man's man, if you will. He's not some wimpy harpist that sometimes we get a picture of. Like, oh, he's just like, you know, he's just... Yeah, musician type. Sorry, Josh. I'm not, not, not bagging on musicians. Like, uh, but he's like this real deal, right? Like he's just, if you got a man's man, like magazine, like David's probably on the cover. You don't mess with a guy like this. You don't mess with his friends, right? He's, he's hanging around tough dudes. But I love this here. Again, he's a man's man, but he begins with simply saying, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. The words that David is using here, he's trying to communicate his heartfelt affection of how he feels towards God. This isn't simply like, I love you, God, but, um, but it's so much more than just those three little words, I love you. David is saying, Lord, from the deepest part of my being, I love you. It's the only time in Scripture, in the Old Testament, I should say, that this type of love is from man to God. It's normally God to man. And David's like, from the innermost part of my being, God, I love you. And I love, again, I just love how it, how it begins, how David begins this psalm. You know, after all the years of just things not working out, all of the years of just his life always hanging in the balance, David said that he, you know, fled from Saul like a partridge on the mountains. That's 1 Samuel 26. That's how he kind of viewed his life. Most people by then, if that's their story, you're like, man, if that's my story, man, I'm bitter, right? I'm angry towards God. 
God promised me this. And look at how my life has panned out. After all the good I've done, God. After all, I've been faithful. This is what I get. This is how you treat me. I thought I was your king. I thought you loved me. But no, no, no. My life just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Again, not for a day. Not for a week, not for a month, not for a year. We're talking years, we're talking decades. That is David. You know, again, if you remember, David was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel years before this. This was the promise, but David wasn't ready yet. And it was that through this time that God would do this deepening work in David's life and David's heart that after all of this was said and done, after the dust had settled, David would stand at the end of this long, decades-long trial, no doubt beat up, worn out, but alive, mind you. And he would turn around and say from the deepest part of his being, Lord, I love you. I still love you. With all of my being, I love you. And he says why. He uses all of these words. He says, I love you Oh, Lord, my strength. That's number one. If you notice, we have the word my nine times in the first two verses. This is personal for David. And he's talking about these characteristics of God. He says, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my shield, the the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Those are the words that David is using But you've got to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, Lord, I love you, my strength, my rock. Again, he's not just coming up with clever words to pen this psalm. He doesn't just have this thesaurus and he's like, okay, what's another word that can kind of like, you know, add to the feeling, anything like that. No, no, no. He's not trying to sound smarter, but these are deep words for David. He says, you have been my strength. You have been my rock. You have been my fortress. And listen, David didn't learn who the Lord is from a textbook or listening to a podcast or reading a blog. No, no, no. David learned these things, these these important truths about God from being in a place where everything in his life was shaking. Everything was shaking. Everything was falling apart. It was unstable. Things were unsteady in David's life. And for David to learn this about the Lord, he had to come to a place where everything in his life was not rock solid. Everything in his life was not strong. He's running for his life. He's without food. He's without shelter. He doesn't have a roof over his head. There's no running water for David. Saul and his goons are just chasing after him day and night with the sword. And he says, this is what I've learned. I love you, Lord, because when everything else in in my life is moving, you never move. You are my rock. You are my strength. You are my fortress. I don't know what other people think about you, God. This isn't anything I've learned again from listening to a podcast or reading a book or enjoying a sermon. No, no, no. Lord, this is something I've learned from years of brokenness. God, you are my strength. Let me ask you tonight, how do you and I learn that the Lord is your fortress? How do you learn that? Exactly. It's when every other fortress in your life falls apart, right? 
It's when everything else that you or, or I have relied on and trusted in to keep you safe. And David has had a lot of those things in his life. But when all of those fall down, when everything in his life that he's relied upon for stability fell apart, he says, no, Lord, you're my fortress. I'm safe in you. Coming, coming back to bases, basics, if you will. You're my deliverer. Again, you learn this in your life. When nothing else delivers you, you learn that the Lord is your deliverer. He says, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Or maybe your translation says, in whom I will trust. The Lord has become for David this place of security or shelter. He says, Lord, you're my shield. No doubt David had arrows just flinging at him, both like literally and like figuratively. He says, God, you're, you're my protection from it all. He says, you're the horn of my salvation. The image here of the horn often is a symbol of authority, of strength, of power and victory. You know, an animal um, contests another animal by butting, right? By thrusting their horns at them. Their fate was contingent on their horn. And to cut off their horn uh, of someone, if you will, and metaphorically, is to limit their effectiveness in battle to bring about defeat. And so when David says, Lord, you're the horn of my salvation. Again, he's not just trying to be poetic and cute, right, with his words. He's literally saying, Lord, I'll be defeated in this life apart from you. You're the source of my power of, of strength. David was so reliant on this horn for victory against his enemies. And then he says, not only are you my shield and the horn of my salvation, but you're also my stronghold. Maybe your translation says strong tower. And the point of a strong tower or stronghold was that it gave you the highest ground on the battlefield, right? It gave you a leg up on the enemy. It gave you the best perspective in looking out over the battle. You know, to be lifted up, it's to, you can see the enemy coming from afar off, from a distance out. And he's saying, Lord, you're that stronghold for me. You're my high tower. It's you who gives me perspective in the midst of my life. That's what we need. Again, everything else is falling apart. Everything else in my life is gone. Nothing was reliable, but David's saying, Lord, now that the dust is settling, it's been a long season. It's been 15 years or so. And I look around and I say, Lord, you are the thing that's never moved. You were my shield. You were my strength. You, God, were my stronghold. I stand here today safe, secure because of you and because of who you are. He begins this psalm, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Look at verse three. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. David has a history of calling out to the Lord, right? Already in 17 Psalms previously, like we're looking at so many cries of David's heart, just in very intense seasons in the midst of battle and life-threatening situations. But I love here, he's on the other side of deliverance now. But he doesn't. What I love is that he doesn't forget the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. He says, who is worthy to be praised. Let me ask you tonight, how many of us are we good at crying? You know, we're good at crying out to the Lord in tough 
seasons and circumstances, right? When our backs are against the, the wall, we are on our knees. We're fasting. Like none of us fast, but when we're in that kind of situation, we fast, right? And we're praying. We're desperate for the Lord to move. Have you guys ever been there in your life? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I think you guys are liars. You hardly any of you rose your hand. But whatever. But after, how about after we've seen the victory? How about after we've been delivered, after God has responded to your cries, after the trial is over, do we still go to the Lord with that same fervency, with that same intensity to say, Lord, you're worthy. God, thank you. Lord, we're grateful for you. On our knees before you. I'm guilty of that, not doing that. But David here, he's, Lord, you're worthy to be praised. Charles Spurgeon said that David was saved singing. I love that. How many of us are saved mourning? We're just like, oh, Lord, thank you. David saved singing. He wasn't just saved and moved on with his life. All right, next thing, you know, like, but he was saved singing. David knew that the Lord was worthy to be praised. Lord, you've been so faithful to me. Thank you. We love you. I love you. I acknowledge you in my life, God. And David just has a song on his lips. Now, verse 4, David begins to talk about his experience of God giving him this victory. It's poetic language. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. That's not good, by the way. The torrents or the floods of ungodliness, they terrified me. David's just saying, death was all around me. But not just death, it's, it's not just that I've been on the run for my life, but the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. David felt this overwhelming presence of ungodliness, worldliness. It, was, it, it describes like this torrent, like this strong flood that would sink him under. Again, this was a significant trial in, in David's life. Verse 5, the cords of Sheol, the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. He's saying, I mean, I was face to face with death. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. And look what he says. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him, notice this, came into his ears. Guys, I love that. He's not saying at some point, you know, you know, I mailed my letter of complaint to the Lord and finally the angels got, you know, dropped off the memo in the throne room and like the Lord finally like responded to me. No, 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 no. He says, my cry came to the very temple and to the very ears of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? My cry was heard from my mouth to God's ears. He's saying, I have that personal relationship with the Lord. Love that. And then he says, this is what he says in verse 7. Then, and so God just isn't here. He responds. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind, and he made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him past thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire, he says. Again, David's just describing this dramatic deliverance of the Lord. 
describes it. Earthquakes. Lord, the Lord was angry. Smoke just coming out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth. Look at verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice and hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. Speaking of his enemies there. And lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This is a crazy scene, if you were to ask me. Like he's describing here. But he's just talking about this great and mighty work of the Lord, this miraculous deliverance that God would move. He says, God would move heaven and earth and even water to rescue me. I love this. God responding to the cry of the needy. Now, as we come to verse 16 through 19, I, I want you to notice all of the he's in this section. You can also notice all of the me's, and it just makes it personal. David had this personal relationship with the Lord, but notice this. He, verse 16, sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of the waters. He delivered me from the strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me, and they confronted me uh, in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because, notice this, he delighted in me. Here comes the rescue, right? David's like, I was drowning. He drew me out. I love that. I was being overtaken by the enemy because they were too strong for me. They were too mighty for me. And David says, uh, it was he that delivered me. It was the Lord. I was in my distress, right? I was found in the day of my calamity. That could be my illness. And he rescued me. Why? Why did God do all of this? Look at verse 19. Because, the end of verse 19, because he delighted in me. What? David's like, all of these amazing things that the Lord has done for me, this great deliverance that he's given to me, provided to me, he did all of that. Why? Because he delighted in me. David would, would sin. David would fail. David would blow it in big times in his life, right? Not just minor sins. David, but David had this, listen, David had this incredible awareness of the love of the Lord for him. As an individual, you notice that he did this for me, not he did this for us. He did this for the church. He did this for the nation. No, he did this for me. Charles Spurgeon, I want you to listen to this quote. It's a little long. It says, why Jehovah should delight in us is an answerless question and a mystery which angels cannot solve. But that he does delight in his beloved is certain and is the fruitful root of favors as numerous as they are precious. Believer, sit down and inwardly digest the instructive sentence now before us and learn to view the uncaused love of God as the cause of all the loving kindness of which we are the partakers. I love that. David has this amazing sense of that right now in his life, that the Lord loved him, delighted in him. Church, do you understand that the Lord loves 
you. Doesn't love us, right? He does. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Bad theology. No, he loves us, right? Right. But he loves you. On your good day, on your bad day, he delights in you. Could I say that? Not because, okay, this isn't like one of those feel-good messages, right? He doesn't delight in you because you're awesome, right? Some of you kind of are, but that's not why he delights in you. He sees you. Like Pastor Doug said on Sunday, man, he knows the truth about you. That's, That's why he doesn't love you because of you, right? That's why he doesn't delight in you because of you. But he loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. You and I, we're in Jesus tonight. And we get all of his benefits. When, when, the, when God looks down at us, he sees Jesus in us. He sees us through the lens of Christ. You tonight, if you're in Jesus, you are his beloved son. You're his beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. That's how he views us in Jesus. Isn't that good news? That that's how the Lord loves us. That's how he thinks towards us. That's how he delights in us. David's whole description here in this passage is simple. He did this. I'm just the beneficiary of it, right? I I couldn't add to this. I was shaking, but he did this, right? He drew me out. He delivered me. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Wow. Love that. Verse 20, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Now look, David's not claiming to be sinless, okay? You can't read that here. But what he is saying that after a long season where he's been tempted, temptations all around him, even counseled to respond in his flesh, respond in just unrighteous ways. You know, he could have killed Saul numerous times, right? He could have taken Saul, Saul's life from him. But David determined to conduct himself in righteousness. He wanted to honor the Lord above everything. And because he did that, he knew he said, the Lord's going to take care of me. The Lord's going to reward me for it. The Lord's got me because of this. That's what David's saying here. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, verse 21, and have not wickedly departed from my God. That's what Saul's doing. Lord, I'm not. For all of his ordinances were before me. And I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Again, David, he's aware of his own weaknesses. He knew all about, these, about the temptations in his life, right? I mean, do you, do you not think that he would want to kill Saul? Like, of course. Like, this guy is chasing after him in his flesh. I can guarantee you, David wanted to put an end to Saul, right? He wanted to go all Goliath on him. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the stone and I'm going to cut off your head. If, if I go to heaven and David doesn't say that, I, I'll apologize to you guys, okay? But I'm just, I'm just relating this young guy, right? He's, he's got to be tempted. I, I'm going to kill this guy. This is the counsel he's also being, you know, receiving from his friends, but that's not what David does. He says, no, no, no. You know, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? I want to honor you, God, above my flesh, above what I want, God. I want what you want. I want to trust you. And he says here, I, I've kept myself from my iniquity. It doesn't say that he's never been tempted, right? He doesn't struggle, but he just kept himself from my iniquity. Verse 24, therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. No doubt David's, David's thinking, here I am. 
I've been delivered from all my enemies and from Saul. Lord, you're, you're doing this work. You've acted on my behalf. And, and due to the fact that I didn't take matters into my own hands, right? I didn't get in the flesh on this one. I let you do the work. That's why you responded in the way in which you did. And with this kind, or with the kind, you show yourself kind, verse 25. And with the blameless, you show yourself blameless. And with the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the crook, you show yourself astute. The New Living says, you show yourself shrewd. That is, you know how to deal with the crooked or the proud or the arrogant. Verse 27, for you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. Again, the proud will not have standing before you. You'll deal with them. You know, I think of James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what David's saying here. Lord, Lord you oppose the proud. You, you're against the arrogant. Verse 28, for you light my lamp. The Lord, my God, illumines my darkness. You know, no doubt David had experienced many dark days in his life. And he says, Lord, even on my darkest day when I cannot see just even what's in front of me, right in front of me, you'll light a lamp. You'll illuminate the darkness with your light. And listen, when he is your light, nothing in this world can, can extinguish it, can diminish it, can make it go away. You understand that tonight? Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a word for, for, for me. Maybe for you. Maybe, maybe tonight you find yourself like where David was finding himself. You're just in a dark season. In your life, it's been a dark year for you. You're just, and you're looking at a thousand different things. Oh, if only this would happen in my life, then it would just solve everything. Or only if that would happen, I would just really know that the Lord loved me. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there tonight. Yeah. Listen, let the Lord himself be for you the lamp in the darkness. Because when he ignites it, when he shines it, the light cannot be extinguished. No matter what else happens in your life, that light can't go away. Let him be it for you. Let him be your everything. Look to him. Verse 29, for by you I can run upon a troop and by my God I can leap over a wall. You know, again, after decades of just being on the run, David, no doubt, physically just exhausted, worn out. And he says, because of you, because of your power, because of your strength, you know, and we find in the New Testament, Paul writes, is perfected in weakness. I can keep going. In me, Lord, in my flesh, I'm done, I'm tired. But because of you, he's like, man, let's do this, God. Verse 30, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Yeah, as for God, he says, Lord, your ways are blameless. Maybe your translation says perfect. Lord, your ways are perfect. Now, let's be honest tonight. This prints really well on a coffee mug. <laughs> Okay? It's a great thing, man. You're just waking up, Lord, ah, your ways are perfect as you're drinking your coffee, right? Like, of course, that's an amazing time. But how many of you tonight, if you're honest, can say that about your life when you're going through a deep, dark season, a trial, 
that you just cannot seem to find the end to. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for you. How hard is it for you to say, Lord, your ways in this, they're perfect. If we're honest, Lord, your ways are blameless, not me. Nuh-uh. When I'm in a trial, I'm questioning. I'm always questioning, Lord, like, you want some counsel on this, God? Because I got some for you. Like, Lord, if I were you, this is how I, what I would do, right? I would do this and this, right? When we're walking, when you're walking, when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, man, if I'm honest, it's hard to say, Lord, your ways are blameless in that. Lord, your ways are perfect in that. But when we find ourselves in those situations when it's hard to trust the plans of God in our lives, we must root ourselves in truth. This last week, my wife and I were in California briefly for like a day and a half for a wedding. And we had the opportunity on on just different individual occasions to to just chat with family. We got to see a lot of family down there. And walking through this... um, difficulties with like, um, we have a family member experiencing some trials that Mary and I went through, like in, in regards to infertility and stuff. And we're kind of, you know, 13 years into this, they're only like maybe three or four. And, I, and I'm just chatting with Mary's cousin. And I'm, I'm just like, man, it, and, I'm, and I'm trying not to preach at her. And I'm just like, it is hard to be where you're at right now in the midst of what you're going through, that hard deep, dark season where you want this God-given blessing and it's not happening for you and it's hard to say, Lord, your ways are perfect. It is. It's hard to say that. And I'm trying to just out of, you know, the Lord, he comforts us so that we can comfort one another, right? And so just trying to provide anything that's not too preachy, right? Not too like idealistic, but like, Lord, the Lord loves you and and I have the, 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 circumstance, or the, the perspective of looking back at the years and seeing God's wisdom. So I was able to share my story with her in that. But it is hard. And I just acknowledged that with her last week. It's like, it is hard to say, God, your ways are perfect in this. But again, when we find ourselves in that place, we have to root ourselves in truth, in the truth of God's word. David says, the word of the Lord is tried. That is, it's been tested It's been tested to the point where it's come out the other side as proven. It stood all tests and it's never failed. It's trustworthy. So again, if you're going through a season in your life where you're questioning the plans of the Lord, remind yourself of the truth of God's word because his word is proven. It's tried. It's been tested. Remind yourselves of of Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Remind yourselves of Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things, how much? All things in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. David says, Lord, your ways are blameless. Your word is tried. It's true. You're a shield to all those who take refuge in you. You're a shield. 
You're reliable, Lord. Verse 31, for who is God but the Lord? <laughs> what a great word. And who is a rock except our God? Now, in verse 32, he begins to reflect again, once again, on the things that had happened. Who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon high places. David, God had equipped David, given him everything needed for these, in these dark seasons. David, or God provided for him, gave him strength, made his feet like hinds feet. That's like feet of deer, just able to run effortlessly, right? In high places and mountains and valleys and ups and downs. Now, I can't, I can't tell you that David recognized that in the moment. I don't know that. I don't know if he's like, man, on this Friday in the trial, Lord, thank you that you've equipped me like a, to be like a deer in this situation when I'm on the run. I don't know. Maybe he's looking back. He said, God, now I can see your provision in my life. I can see that you, you provided every step of the way for me. Again, this was the Lord's doing. David's recognizing that. Look at verse 34. He trains my hand for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. The Lord strengthened me in incredible ways. You've also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me. And notice this, your gentleness makes me great. What an interesting line. Your gentleness makes me great. David just comes out of this section where he's describing the Lord's power, right? The Lord's authority. Like, Lord, Lord you've, you've bent the heavens down, right? The foundations of the earth are, are shaking. Just smoke coming out of your nostrils, fire coming out of your mouth. Everything is just like in fear of the Lord. But notice he says, it's your gentleness that makes me great. Not his awesome power, not his creation, and the, but his gentleness, his humility, his meekness, his kindness. I think it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his gentleness. That's what makes me great, Lord. Verse 36, you enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. <laughs> I love these words. They cried for help, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I emptied them out as mire in the street, in the streets. Fun to me, they're pretty fun words of David he's using here. But essentially he's like, he's giving God the credit for this. He's like, Lord, you've given me the strength to, to literally beat them fine as dust before the wind. That's what, Lord, you've done. Verse 43, you've delivered me from the contentions of, of the people, from just the, 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 the drama, if you will, of the people. You've placed me as head of the nations, as a people whom I have not known or I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. David knew, again, that, that God was going to raise him up, not just to serve as king over Israel, but to be a strong military, you know, authority, power among the nations, the neighboring nations, that God would grant him to be this strong military power in his day. 
And he's recognizing this. This is the work of the Lord, not a work of David. Now in, in verse 46, he's, he's going to come around to where he started. He says, the Lord lives. I love that. Not lived. The Lord lives. The Lord's alive. He's living. And blessed be my rock. One commentator says, if we begin with the Lord is my rock, we shall end with blessed be my rock. Let me say that again. If we begin with the Lord is my rock, we will end with blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. David is just sensing, God, you've established this kingdom. Saul's gone. Saul's out of the picture. You're you're establishing this for me. Verse 48, he delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. And now he says, because everything, Lord, that you've done, there, Thor, verse 49, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. When David is saying that he's going to give thanks to the Lord among the nations, he's saying, I'm going to publicly declare to the unbelieving world how great you are, God. How great you are. When I'm at Starbucks, Lord, when I'm in my office, I'm going to actively, Lord, I'm going to actively look for opportunities to just share with others, to share with the unbelieving world just your greatness, your faithfulness to me. Lord, let that be true of our hearts. Let us that, that be true of our lives. Verse 50, he gives great deliverance. Not just deliverance, he gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David, at this point in his time, he's witnessed this incredible victory from the Lord. This great deliverance. But David also recognizes the Lord is giving him the throne. David says, I'm his king. David Gutzik said this, David knew this because he did all that he could to make sure that he did not seize or usurp the throne. He let God give it to him in time. David, therefore, had the blessed benefit of knowing that he was God's king and not one of his own making. And this is the work that the Lord is doing in his timing. When he promises something, we can take that to the bank. He'll bring it about. We can trust him. And David is not only recognizing God's work in his life, but also just relishing in, the, in God's great love, his mercy for him in his life. Lord, your, your loving kindness, you've shown it to me. And not just to me, Lord, but I, I just know that you're gonna, you're gonna show it to, to my kids and my kids' kids and their kids' kids. Again, this is, this is long before the prophecy to David that one, you know, one of his family members would, would be on the throne, right? Saul, would, it's still kind of in the nation's eyes, you know, his lineage would take, would take over. So this is long before that, but David, again, he's just confident in his relationship with the Lord. Lord, you're gonna love me. You're gonna love my family because of who you are, because you're great. What a great psalm, 50 verses. As we close tonight, 
We worship the Lord. I'm not sure how much time we got. Joshua, 30, 40, 50 minutes? No. But if you feel tonight, I was at the coffee shop thinking about this today. If you feel tonight that you're one of those people that's just going through a dark season in your life, a troubling time where you're finding it difficult to trust the Lord, and if I'm honest with you tonight, I find myself in a place like that, just my own life, personally. But I believe the Lord would tell us tonight, don't look for solutions to the problem to be the thing that releases you from that situation. I think his word for us tonight is look to me, to be the light, to be the lamp in the middle of your darkness. Look to the Lord to shine in the dark place of your life. What place is that? Only you know, between you and the Lord. And the temptation is to, is to look at so many different things. Lord, how about this? Lord, how about that? Like my problems will go away. And the Lord is saying, look to me to be that for you. Maybe, maybe this evening you're, you're, you're just in a place where you feel beaten down. You just feel brutally beat down it's just been happening for too long, or Lord, too long, and you've been driven to the point. Maybe you're at a place where you're in just despair. David, you know, David says, I, I, Lord, I didn't act in my own iniquity. I didn't respond in the flesh. That was David. And tonight, maybe you've got a lot of flesh just built up within you, right? You're just like, I want to act on it. Listen, don't act on it. I can say with confidence that the Lord is doing a work in your life. He's doing a work in my life. He's deepening us. He desires to get us to a place where one day, listen to this, one day we can look back and we can say like David, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. You've been my rock. You've been my fortress. You've been my deliverer. You've been my strong tower. I take refuge in you when everything else was moving in my life, Lord. You never moved. You've been faithful. You've been that shield. You've been that horn of my salvation. You've been, again, that stronghold, that refuge. Let me just say to you tonight, as I say to myself, let the Lord do his work in your life. Don't rush it. You can't rush it, unfortunately. I think of the, the words, you know, James 1.4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's the work that the Lord wants to do in us, so that we would be mature. mature. We would be complete, lacking nothing. There's a lot of things I lack in life. I have to let the Lord do his work in me. You know, I think of the words that the Lord spoke to the prophet Habakkuk. And I know this was in, the, in, in a negative kind of connotation of what he was saying, but this could, can still be applied in the positive but the Lord told Habakkuk, I'm doing, listen, Habakkuk, I'm doing a work in your day. And even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. I believe, man, that's a, that's a word for some of us tonight. The Lord is doing a deepening in your life. And if he, even if he revealed his plan fully to you, you're just like, no, definitely not doing that. That's how I kind of feel like if he, if he told us like December 31st of 2019 about 2020, we wouldn't have believed it. That's what the Lord wants to do, is doing in us, man. He's doing a deep work. He's doing this great work. And even if he told you tonight what he was doing, you'd be like, no. But again, I, I believe that he wants to do, and he is doing something great in our lives. But oh, that we would just simply trust him.
day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, some, some of us minute by minute, trusting in the Lord as he's doing that perfecting in us. It's not easy, but his word is reliable. It's been tested. It's been tried. He hasn't abandoned you. He never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. Again, you are tonight his sons and his daughters in whom he is well pleased. He delights in you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Amen to that. Amen to that. Lord, help us tonight, God, to fully just come to that realization that we are in your hands, that you've got the whole world in your hands. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is tested, that it is reliable that it's tested the, the test of time and it's come out the other side. Lord, you're faithful. And we thank you for that. And I just pray tonight just for my brothers and sisters here in this room, maybe those watching online, I just pray, God, that you would just give this, them this awareness, God, that you are with them, that you are working in their lives, that they can trust you, that they don't have to respond or react in the flesh, that they don't have to, to look for any other thing to get them out of their circumstance or their season that, that they're in right now. But Lord, they can just trust you. You would light up their lives. You would light up the darkness. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to just be in your word. Your word, as the psalmist says, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Lord. Help us to stay in your word to be grounded in your word, to trust your word so that we can say, Lord, your ways are perfect. Lord, your ways are blameless. That's what we want to say. Help us, Lord. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our, our, our just trust in you, God. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. You've been so good to us. You've been so good to me faithful to me. Even right now, maybe as, as we're getting ready to sing, maybe just think, you know, this psalm is super personal. And I know for myself, I can get so caught up in the corporateness of everything and, and us and the we's. But David says, God, you have been for me this refuge. You've been for me this shield. You've been for me this stronghold. Maybe just tonight, God would just have you remember and just think upon how has he been faithful throughout the years to you? How has he shown himself strong to you throughout the years? To you, not, 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 not necessarily even to your family, not just to, not even to this church or, or to our country or, or stories you've heard from missionaries around the world, but how has he shown himself strong on your behalf? Maybe you just remind yourself, reflect on that tonight as we worship, as we respond. Lord, we love you. I love you. You're my refuge, you're my stronghold, you're my shield, the horn of my salvation.